kind of chuckling a little bit because, I, at least for me, I mean, it's not that it has to always be this way, but typically, if I'm preaching, Josh isn't around. I mean, he's gone. He, you know, something comes up or there's other things that take place, and uh, that just, I'm not used to always seeing him too, and so it, it's a great thing. Um, I was uh, kind of kidding with my mom a little bit this morning, but also, as I saw somebody today, they just kind of laughed. They said, hey, um, you know, uh, it's such a hot day. I hope you have a really cool message. And I kind of laughed, and I'm like, oh, oh, there's going to be a cool factor in it, all right. But it may not be what it is that you think that it may be. So you hold on, and if you don't recognize it, I'll point it out to you because it's that low-key of being cool. <clears throat> How many of you guys are fans of TV dramas or crime shows or investigative journal? Journal uh, journalism? Anybody? Really? Okay. How many of you all actually watched the shows? You just didn't want to raise your hand in front of everybody. Yeah, kind of some of the rest of you. Like, I know that that's the case. There are popular TV shows out there. It's always amazing to me that virtually every single crime possible, plus the investigation of the crime, the warrants that have to be issued, the arrests, the interviews, the interrogation, the trial, the mistrial, the sentencing, and the occasional reversal of an unjust guilty plea can all take place in simply one hour's time, minus, of course, the commercials. Like, we just know when we sit down to watch a show, it's like, uh, it's going to get wrapped up. Matter of fact, sometimes my wife and I will be watching a show and something looks like, oh, they're coming up on the answer, but it's only like 20 after the hour, like, wrong answer. Like, there's still another 40 minutes to go. Like, we all understand this. Now, every so often, a, a show will be so compelling or there will be so much uh, information in it that they'll turn it into a two-parter. Like, you get to the end, it says, to be continued. And you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And for those of you that are old enough, you might remember, sometimes they even turn things into something called a mini-series. Like, they would turn it into a, a whole week's worth of stuff. Well, that's kind of what the message today is like and the message last week. Like, those two together, there's so much information in there that Pastor Josh, he talked about this concept of hope. We're going to continue talking about that today in a message I'm just calling, My Hope is in You. We're going to talk about some of the same things because they're super important, but we're going to talk about them in a little different way or maybe a little different angle or a little different terminology because, as I was sharing with the guys earlier, sometimes different things just hit us differently. And it resonates with us in a different way. So I want to mention that to you up front. Last week, Pastor Josh, he discussed the concept of living hope and dead hope. It's great information. If you haven't had a chance to hear that, go online. Go to our website. Right now, that's the place you can find it. Go to our website, and you can listen to the audio or watch the video of it, because I know we've been having some issues on YouTube right now. But that's a place that you can go and find it. Now... I don't know how many of you all week long have been looking at your phone app and you've been looking at today because today's that day that supposedly is supposed to break the 100 degree barrier. How many of you guys have seen that and dreaded it most of the week? <laughs> when I said dreaded it is when all the hands went up there. I know. So uh, here's my cool factor for you. I thought since it was such a hot day, I would talk about a winter topic for a quick moment, okay? Winter cool. I told you it was kind of really subtle. You guys may not get there. Uh, I, this is something that I've brought up before. I've mentioned this before, but, but around Christmas season, 
I enjoy sitting down and watching a particular TV or movie, sorry, a movie, while I'm wrapping my, my gifts for Christmas. Like, it's just kind of been something that I have done in the past. That show is the one that many of us have seen called It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have seen that show? How many of you have seen it more than once? Yeah, like a lot of people watch this thing over and over again. In that movie, one of the most important lines or one of the most important conversations takes place towards the beginning of the whole show. It's where Clarence, an angel second class, as he is called, is about to get an important assignment to go down to earth to help this guy who is in trouble. The superior, speaking to Clarence, says, you've got to go help this guy out, this guy George Bailey. Clarence says, why? What is it? Is he sick? The angel superior responded and said, no, it's much worse than that. He's discouraged. Yeah. I, I love that line in a warped sense kind of, kind of way. That discouragement, because discouragement could be a fate far worse than almost any physical ailment that any of us can ever suffer. If you have ever truly been discouraged, you know that you have this sense of hopelessness, and that if it is big enough or heavy enough, you feel the weight of hopelessness dragging you down as you just go about your business. When people get discouraged, people get desperate. And in their desperation, they tend to believe things that they normally wouldn't. This is where Satan comes in. This is where the evil one steps in because the evil one is a, 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 a master of deception, a, a master of lies. He can take something that is from Scripture and God's truth and just slightly twist it, tweak it just a bit, distort the Bible truth just enough that it still sounds pretty close and looks pretty good, but it is no longer the gospel truth it truly is a lie because of what he has done. That's what Satan, I think, does better than anything else he does. He doesn't normally throw bold-faced lies out there because you and I are pretty smart and don't buy into it. What he does is he throws that little 1% twist in there, something that still sounds pretty good, but we failed to miss the key part or a key part of it. One of the lies that Satan has introduced to us during people's time of being discouraged is that we can put our own hope into our own hands. He has said that to us. Lie number one, I guess I would call it wishful thinking. That's been a phrase that has come up that many people have talked about for a long time now. Wishful thinking is this hopeful feeling that somehow or some way you can do something to change the outcome of a situation. But, but, but that's not really whatever happens. It's you, you, you think it's going to happen that way, but you really have no way of fixing the problem. You have no way of trying to. So Satan makes you think that you're going to be involved in fixing it, but you have no way of being involved in it. Sometimes we engage that, ourselves in that because we just, we're looking for something to make us feel better, and so we convince ourselves of it but it doesn't ever really help. Illustrations of it might very well be you blow out the candles on your birthday cake and you say, I hope for a great next year. Well, you really don't have a lot of control about that at that point in time. Maybe you, you look at your investments and you're like, I hope my, my stocks are still going up. Like, you don't have a whole lot of, of uh, 
way to speak into the, that going on. You just can't change that. <laughs> I had to laugh because I wrote down, maybe you woke up this morning hoping that you would see snow on the ground outside in your driveway. Like, you had nothing to do with that at all. Wishful thinking is almost always a feel-good emotion, but rarely involves anything that you can do to affect the final outcome of the situation. That's one lie. A second one is something I just called like blind optimism. Like being optimistic and being looking at the, the bright side of life is great. But have you ever met people who don't do anything except look at it? Like the only thing they'll ever do is always, 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 like I mean never speak back. They always just think it is on the bright side, and they deal with life that way. They kind of paint over their problems. They act like nothing ever exists wrong in this world. They close their eyes to the ugliness around us. In fact, some religions even take this approach. They say that there's ultimately that the sin is just an illusion, not a reality. It's not real to us. We're just imagining our sin and our depravity. To them, everything is good all the time, and you can do something about it. That's blind optimism, like really just looking at something and saying, I, I, all I'm going to do is find the upside to this. <laughs> I, I, I saw this a long time ago, and I just always laugh at it. Blind optimism is kind of like the lost dog sign posted around town. It says, lost dog, hobbles on three legs, blind in the left eye, missing right ear, Rotten front teeth, broken tail, recently neutered, and has an infected wound. The dog will answer to the name of Lucky. <laughs> like, like, Lucky is not what I would name that dog. Fortunate, maybe, or, you know, running out of lives, maybe. But just Lucky, just, it seems like some people always look at it, and they have a bright outlook. And that's okay to have that. But not when you realize, oh, it's all about me and nothing about God. It's when we take God out of the equation that the problem comes in. But thankfully, that's not what real hope is, and that's not what we're left with, and that's what I want to mention to you here today. According to Scripture, specifically we look here, Romans chapter 15, verse 13 is a key passage just to start with. The Apostle Paul tells us that there is an answer for hopelessness. That answer is God, the original and the only source of real hope. So if you have your Bibles, you can look there, or you can look up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read for, to you what it says there about God and hope and you and I. Paul wrote, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll leave that up there, but I want you to hear it from another version than I wrote down here. But you can still look up there. You can see a slight twist here, but how it's still the same passage. Another version says, may God, the source of hope, fill you with joy and peace as you believe in him. So your hope may continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's break that down a bit and maybe leave this up on the screen so you can see what it is I'm speaking of. To begin with there, it says, God is the source of hope. Because God is holy and his promises are perfect, we have hope. I once heard hope explained this way. It says, it's the thing that is needed for the time in between God's word and God's action. 
It's that thing that takes place in the middle of what God says he'll do and when God actually does it. That space in here is truly what hope is. Like if I go to my son and, and I say, I'm going to do something for you, it's going to happen at some point. That's my promise to Noah. Like that's my word. And eventually, most of the time, I get around to doing that because I'm human and I failed this, but most of the time I will get around to doing this. That's my action. The time in between, while Noah's waiting for what I said I would do and when I actually do it, all Noah could do is hold on to hope that I'm good for my word and he can look at that because I've been faithful in my actions in the past. Does that make some sense? Like, I'm hoping that, that, that we get this fact here, that, that God is the source of our hope. That's who God is. It's the wait time between his word and his action. Second part there is God will fill you with joy and peace as we trust in him or as we believe in him. As I mentioned earlier, uh, or as I mentioned before, and a lot of us know it, hopelessness is a, a major problem in our society right now discouragement is things that people deal with. And we've heard a lot of reports that say after the pandemic, that's really kind of upped its game some. And I know that we know that, but it's really impacted our kids and our teens. That's an area that you see it's grown exponentially. Yet the Bible says that we, uh, despite the plague of discouragement and hopelessness in our society, that God can replace that unhealthiness in our soul with joy and peace. And we know that that's something that we want. We simply need to, as the Bible says here, trust in him or believe in him. You might be able to find temporary distractions in life or grab some medications to help deal with life, but you'll only ever find real joy and peace in life when you trust Jesus, when you go to God. And then finally, God, the last part there, as the Holy Spirit, okay? But God will empower you to overflow with hope. Biblical hope is a, a forward-looking faith. Or maybe you could say it's a future certainty of the promises of God. This kind of hope is not something that you and I can conjure up on our own willpower. It's not something that you and I can personally control. Hope is something that is supernatural and given to us in abundance by who? What's it say? The Holy Spirit, by God. Like, we know that that's where it comes from. See, sometimes I think that we think hope is kind of a you just get what you get kind of gift. Like, you just, it was given to you once, there's your hope, hope you're happy. Like, deal with it. Like, that's what you've got. But according to this, it says, Paul says that we can increase our hope and joy and peace, which has got to be exciting news to anyone struggling with discouragement or hopelessness. Because if you've been given hope and that's all you get, and this is how you're feeling, you feel like you got the bottom of the barrel when it came to time to handing things out. But you can hold on to it and you can increase it. In fact, I would go so far as to say that our church believes so much in this concept of hope and how it's missing in our world that it is something that our leadership, it's something that Pastor Josh has kind of brought us to understand that this is our purpose for existing as a church. This is our, our big vision for our community. Matter of fact, our God-sized goal, if you looked in our writing, the things that we say is this, is that we as a church want to reach the city of Downey with the hope of Jesus. 
that's what we desire to do. Reach everyone that we can. Like we have said before, that is a big, big goal. And the reason why it's called vision is we probably won't get there, but, but it's something that God's laid on our heart to reach the city of Downey. And the good news is, when I looked at the census, the most recent census, we only have about 114,000 people to go, and we've reached that goal, Josh, so we're set there. So there's a lot. Of, I'm, do the math there. There's a lot of people. Like, do we think it's a reality? No, but with God, obviously, it's a possibility, and for that, we can hold out. Jesus is the only hope for humanity. Amen? Amen. So I said, last week, Pastor Josh talked a little bit about living hope and dead hope, and because they're such important concepts, I want to touch on that again a little bit, but I want to give a different analogy here to see if it might be something that you relate to. The difference between biblical hope and worldly hope is a lot like the difference between authentic currency and counterfeit money. Like, we have a picture, I think, that'll show you up here. Yeah, that's... That, my friends, is counterfeit. In case, if you have one of those in your wallet, do not try to spend it. You'll go to jail for the evening. Back when I first started working at McDonald's, I've mentioned before, I was taught how to inspect or how to evaluate paper money. If you don't already know this, there's many clever ways to counterfeit bills and to duplicate it, but most fake bills will never pass the authentic bills if that makes some sense. Like it just, it, they're good, but they're not that good. And so what we were taught, what I was told back then, and still applies is they're never going to be able to stay on top of the counterfeit game. They can't show you all the latest and greatest and new ones. So what they teach you is, instead of counterfeit, forget that, they teach you what does an authentic bill look like? Because that doesn't change. They teach you what the real thing feels like, looks like, smells like. Like, you know those things. And when you know and, and put those to the test, counterfeit bills are revealed. When you know what real money looks like, spotting fake money is easier. When you know what real hope looks like, spotting fake hope is easier in the same exact way. So when it comes to hope, what's counterfeit, what's authentic, I wrote this down. It's not on the screen. If you want to write real quick, you can get this. But here's just kind of like a, a two-liner that I want you to hear. There's a bit of some, some memory to this. But counterfeit hope is an eternal destiny based on what you can do. Counterfeit hope is an eternal destiny based on what you can do. Authentic hope is an eternal destiny based on what Jesus has done. Counterfeit, what you can do. Eternal, what Jesus has done. Period. End of sermon, except I have more notes, okay? But I mean, that's, that's kind of the point here. It's just, that's what we need to know. And church, I, I want you to hear this. Whether you're watching this online, whether you're here in person, please understand this core truth of scripture. Eternity is not an option, but where you spend it is completely up to you. The eternal destination is a choice that you will make during your time here on earth. Scripture says that you can have eternal life by trusting Jesus for what he has already done. That is authentic hope. It's a free gift from God available to anyone who wants it. 
And if you ever want to know more about that, I encourage you, come and talk to us at the end of the service. I will find myself up here uh, at the very end of service, and, and we're going to have this. Hey, Carl, I may have given you a way too early cue. If you hold on a couple minutes. No, you're totally good. He kind of scared me. Did you notice I jumped a little bit there? I thought this is the end time right now, so we're good. I want you to come and I want you to see me uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that or fill out that card that's in front of you there. But I want you to know is again, God says it's available to anybody and, and it's free and it's authentic hope. It's what we can have. And so I want to kind of give you a couple of big ideas I want you to, to leave here with and understanding this, that as a Christian, why is it that you can have this authentic hope? What about authentic hope is making this so important to you? Well, one of them is this. Authentic hope is ours as believers because our failures have been pardoned. Like, because we goof up, and how many of you have ever goofed up and sinned in your life? Like, I could wait for every hand to go up here, but that's okay. Like, we all understand that that's all of us. Part of Scripture, we need to know, and nobody likes to talk about this, but part of Scripture is the fact that in order to have hope, we have to realize that we are spiritually hopeless to start with. We have to understand that we have, like, depravity in our, like, sin has wiped us out, and as a result, we are no longer connected to and related to God. We cannot be in a relationship with Him. That's part of the, the Bible, and, and sometimes some churches will hit that Bible even harder and just keep hammering in that, and, and, and we have to know it. But there is the hope side. There's the upside to this. Because our failures have been pardoned, we can have hope. That's something for us as Christians to hold on to. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says it a little bit this way. Here's some highlights of that passage there. It says that God saved us in his mercy, not by virtue or any moral achievement of ours, and that we are acquitted by God's grace. This comes to us from God because God said that's how he's going to do it. And that's how God allowed it to happen. As a result, I would say the thing that we can walk away with and that we can share with other people is as much as we are spiritually hopeless, God has given us hope. And so even when we keep making mistakes going forward, there's an opportunity for us to kind of have do-over days or do-over moments. I don't know about you, but I like do-overs. Because I make mistakes. Like, whether it be playing golf or whether it be writing something out or whether it's just in a relationship thing, like there's always mistakes. I fail and there's do-over times. And in the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, and kind of references earlier, chapter 3. Because of God's great love, we are not doomed. For his forgiveness never runs out. His mercies are renewed every day. Every morning, he has enough mercy to forgive us again and again. I don't know about you, but I turn on the news, and I keep hearing them talk all about this renewable energy concept, but I'm here to tell you that it's much more important that we rely on God's renewable mercies instead. That's something we can walk out of here with. Another reason why we as Christians can have this hope is because our future has been promised. Our failures were pardoned. Our future is promised. Like that's a guarantee when you go through scripture, when you go through the Bible, when you read through there and you see what all is involved, we are told that our future is what we can hold on to. 
and that we can have that. Years ago, a pastor, author John Maxwell, he told a story. I'm going to have to kind of read this so I don't goof up the facts here. About a small town in Maine that was a proposed for a site of a great hydroelectric plant. A dam would be built across the river, and the town would be eventually submerged. When the project was announced, the people were given many months to arrange their affairs and to relocate. But during those months, a curious thing happened. All town improvements ceased. No painting was done. No repairs were made on the buildings, roads, or sidewalks. Each day, the whole town got shabbier looking. A long time before the water ever submerged the town, the town looked uncared for and abandoned, even though the people had not yet moved away. One citizen explained the town attitude like this. He said, the people here believe this. Where there is no faith in the future, there's no passion for the present. They didn't have a future. They knew their town was going to be underwater and it was going to be, get, it was going to be gone. So when they heard that, why do anything now? Why do anything now? Like, that's going to happen. I'm done. It'd be easy for us to feel that way spiritually or for people that we know to feel that way spiritually. I'm a screw-up. I get it. I'm a sinner. Okay. Our job as a church is to let them know what we've heard. That we know that our failures are pardoned and that our future is promised. We can look forward Titus 3.7 says we can look forward in hope to inheriting eternal life. That's our hope. Again, last week, Pastor Josh commented about something, and, and th this is essential to hope, and I want to kind of wrap it up with this part here so you understand. It's really, I, I want to say it again because it's important, and I want to make sure there's clarity so we're not confused because sometimes these get a little twisted. They get a little muddy. When it comes to hope in Scripture, not all passages are written and created equal. They don't always carry the same weight. That's just, you have to read, you have to understand the context. You've got to look at what was originally said and written, but, but those words there don't always equate to one another. Some passages about hope are concerning earthly possibilities. Other passages about hope are concerning eternal promises. What's earthly possibilities? You name it. Um, possible that he could guide me to make better decisions in life or bless me just out of the blue. He could turn uh, my problems into blessings or prevent issues from happening in the first place. He could create a great marriage or raise my kids or uh, provide a child if I can't have one. He can raise my grades or change my title or improve my status. He can protect me from illness or restore my health or provide insurance. He can raise my income and increase my net worth or protect my... Like you put, I put together a list there. He could do all those things. Any of them are possible. God can do them, and he might, but nowhere does it say he will here on earth. That's a hope we can hold on to, that that might change. It's a possibility. But what is promised is what we need to hold on to. Our sins are forgiven, and our eternity is secure. That we will be with God forever in heaven, and that God will be with us while we are here on earth. He will walk through the difficult times with us. We can hold on to him as we hold on to hope. If some of you all are old enough and you've read this and you've seen it, remember the old footprints in the sand poem? That's what that's about. Tough times. If you don't know what it is, I encourage you to go look it up. I want to just leave you with this. 
if you are here or you're watching or you know somebody who is not a believer, I want to encourage you today, begin a relationship with Christ. Just start one. Your failures will be pardoned. Your future will be promised. And if you need to know how, again, you come forward, you let us know, you write it on that card in front of you, you drop it off, do whatever. Just get a hold of us and tell us. But if you're a believer here today, your hope for believers is to renew your relationship with Christ. Talk to him about what you need to do and how you can get plugged in and how you can be more active or involved in what he's doing in this community and in your life. As far as our church, we talk about this all the time. Get more involved. Commit to coming to service. Join a growth group, which just started. If you haven't done one, here's a great opportunity still to get into one. Or join a serve team and use the gifts that have been given to you. I'm going to ask you if you would to go ahead and close your eyes. I, I just want to kind of talk for a moment and then I will close this in prayer. But I want to ask you, if you're here today and you've heard this news and you've heard this message and you know about this hope or what we've just said about it, if you're somebody that wants to start fresh, you're a believer, you, you just need a do-over because day after day after day, things aren't going right. I'm just going to ask you right now, if you would, just to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Just if you got it, yeah. We need do-overs. Keep your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never started a relationship with Christ, or you don't know much about him, but you want to know more about this concept of pardoning failures and promises of future, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Because we want to, absolutely, we want to. Thank you, thank you. Because we want to be able to do that for you. Please let us know. While your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you just to leave them there and let me close us in a time of prayer. Father God, we thank you so very much again for the concept of hope. Lord, it was so much we couldn't even contain it last week, and there's still so much that it shouldn't even stop this week. Who knows? There may be a mini-series out of this message series. But Lord, there's always the opportunity to look in Scripture and to, to learn from one another and to read and to personally apply. And what we've shared here today, Father, has been a blessing. I just thank you for the opportunity to do so. And I pray that we will be able to move forward out of hopelessness and discouragement and to find you, as the Scriptures say, the source of hope. And then as a result of that, to grow in our, our faith and joy because we trust and believe you. Help us, as I said, in the hope, in that in-between time between what you've said and what you will do. And thank you for being faithful, for always being good for your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for a message on hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you.